Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have some time together today to to listen to you. I know that we all come in here with different things going on in our weeks. Maybe some of us uh, joyful, excited about what the week brings or or the week that has just passed. Maybe some of us are heavy and burdened with things. Uh, we, We come in here in different places, but you see each of us and you know each of us and you know what's happening in our lives and you know what's going to happen in our lives. And you want to speak with us today. And so I pray that you would do that, uh, that you would help me to communicate your word, that you would speak to our hearts, help us to see you, and let this time be uh, useful for our hearts and our lives, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we're in a series that we've been going through called Stronger, where we're looking at the letter that Paul writes uh, to a pastor named Timothy in the city of Ephesus, and, and here's kind of the, the big idea that we've been covering every week, which is this, that we, that we all want to thrive. All of us want to experience life better than it is now, in different ways, right? And we all have different ways where we view that, where we see that, but we all want to experience life uh, stronger than it is now. We want to experience maybe our relationships stronger than they are now, or maybe uh, just your ability to think through decisions. Maybe some of you have decisions you're trying to process through, and should I do this, and should I do that, should I move, should I stay, should I take the job, should I not take the job, should I take the guy or the girl, or should I not take the guy or the girl? Uh, you're, we all have kind of different things where we want to grow in, mature in. Maybe it's kind of anxieties in our life, struggles in our life. Maybe it's just hurts in our life, pains in our life that we say, man, I really want God to be able to meet me here. I really want his help here. But we struggle. We want to grow. We want to experience life stronger than it is now, but we do struggle, right? We want to grow. We want to move from here to there, but it's hard. It's easy to say that. It's easy to say we want to grow and we want to be stronger and, you know, rah, 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 whatever. It's easy to say that, but we struggle to actually experience that. We struggle to actually make progress, to have life be stronger than it is now. But here's the the big idea and the good news is God doesn't want to leave you alone. God doesn't want you to just struggle and go, man, this is hard and life's difficult and I want to make progress and I want to grow and I want my relationships better and I want my kind of emotional health better and yet it's hard. He doesn't want to leave you alone in that. He doesn't want to leave you alone. He wants to lead you. He wants to care for you. He wants to protect you. He wants to guide you. He wants to teach you. God actually has good in mind for you and and doesn't just say, hey, this is possible. You can have this. Figure it out. He says, man, I want want good for you and I want to help you and I want to be a part of that in your life. But but here's, here's what's true. Often, often, we might not feel that. We might think, man, God has actually left us alone to to just figure it out. It often does seem like, okay, I know there's a God. I know he's up there, but we're kind of just left here to figure it out. We're kind of left here to figure the relationships out, to figure the hard decisions out. And it can feel really hard, but, but here is what's also true. We might be missing out. We might, God, God wants to move us here. He wants to help us here, but we might be missing out. Maybe some of the reason that we often can feel stuck or can feel like, where is God? I want to move to this place. I want to grow. Maybe it's because we're actually missing out on one of the main ways that God intends to do that. 
And what we've looked at, what Paul has said before in this letter, but we come to another section where he really kind of lays this out for us again, is that one of the main ways that God wants to work in our lives to help us to not leave us alone is that God gives to the church pastors in the church. Now, if you're a Christian and, and you're planning on being a Christian for a while. I don't know if anyone has, like, I'll be done in 2021. But if, if you're a Christian and, and that's kind of what's going to happen in your life for a long time, you have to kind of know, man, how do, I, how do I approach the pastors that God has given me? How do I actually use the pastors that God has given to me in my life so I, so I get the most out of that resource that God has actually made available? So that's what we're really going to be talking about today that Paul lays out is how to really use the resource of spiritual leadership of pastors in your life. Now, let me just say this because I kind of have to. This is a really weird sermon to preach because I'm kind of preaching a sermon of why you need me. And that's very weird, right? Uh, it sounds almost like a, a begging boyfriend that's just like, please, please, you need me. Don't let me go. Uh, and so I'm sorry if it uh, either creates PTSD for you of someone that did that in the past, or, or if that is you, then maybe you'll at least hear what you sound like, uh, <laughs> and your girlfriend will be like, see, that's what you are. Okay, so anyways, this is a weird sermon to preach, but it's in the Bible, right? It's in the Bible. So it's, it's really weird. Some of this letter is really weird because it's Paul writing to a pastor, telling him how to lead a church. But part of what Paul is doing is saying, hey, in this new church that exists, their church was really similar to where our church is about five years in. And, and he's writing to him, telling him, hey, here's what you need to do. There needs to be pastors and these are the kind of pastors and this is what it looks like. And, and it's just a really weird sermon for me to preach. And I could kind of dance around it or kind of brush by it really quick and say, oh, yeah. Or, but, I, but here's reality. God says, I wanted to preserve this. If you think about the Bible, I mean, most of the stuff in there is a couple thousand years old. And God wanted to preserve this in the Bible and says, this is for our good. Like, there's all sorts of things that we can look at in our life and say, I know this is for my good. I know I need to love my neighbor because I am a neighbor hater. I know that I need to turn the other cheek because... You know, my, these cheeks don't turn for nobody or whatever. Like, there's things. There's, that's the, my next hit single. Um, that's, that's, uh, it's, it sounds like a great song, right? Um, oh, man. There could be a lot of connotations of what that means. But um, so what are we talking about? My... my there's a lot of things we think we need that the Bible teaches, right? There's a lot of things that we think we need, but what's amazing is God preserved this to be written to us and said, this is something we need for our spiritual health. And so preparing this sermon, a little hard for me, a little weird for me to kind of talk about myself and say, hey, here's some things that you need to know about me. Uh, it's, it's kind of weird, and yet God says, man, we need this. And so we can just kind of at least address the awkwardness that I feel, but then go, man, this is from God, and it's what he wants. And so kind of move me out of the way a little bit and say, this is something that God is saying that he knows that you need, that we need to hear for our spiritual health, okay? So there's all that preface. Uh, let's read the text, and then we will uh, look at how do we really use, how do we use the resource that God has given us of pastors in our lives, Here's what he says. The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, 
especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. So let's start with this question as we think about how is it that we use the elders, the pastors, the same thing. How do we use the pastors that God has given to us? We start with this. is just why do we need elders? Why do we need pastors to begin with? Why, why do we even need them? Because if you're not a Christian... That's a really weird idea probably to you. Or if you're somebody even that maybe used to go to church and, and you're kind of not sure if you're really into church yet or, or kind of what you think about that. I know we have lots of people like that every Sunday that are kind of coming back maybe after a while and investigating things and, and not quite sure. It's, it's a really, this might be even why you don't like church or why you're unsure about church is to think, man, what, I, don't, I don't know about these pastors, these elders. I, I know I, I used to think that. I grew up in the church, and, and then at one point I thought, man, I love God, I love Jesus, but I don't know about needing pastors. I don't know if I need this in my life. So it can be something that we are unsure about, that we even need at all. Last week we talked about one of the things that Paul gives to Timothy, that he tells him, here's part of what your job description, here's part of what a pastor does. He tells him to command things to teach things, to point things out in people's lives that aren't going the way that they should go. And if you think about that, that's not something we really like, right? If I said, don't you really want someone to command things in your life and to point things out where there's air and, and to teach you things? and to, You're probably going to go, I don't know if I really want that in my life because it's normally frustrating. Normally, we don't love the people that point things out that are wrong in our lives. We usually get defensive, and we usually feel, hey, you don't know me, and, and, and we don't like that. We have a very, 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 I mean, this is so true in America in 2019. We have, we have a super individualistic view of everything, but then that includes faith. So we think that it is my personal faith and my personal Jesus and my walk with Jesus and my, 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 my. And so we don't really think that anyone has the right to look at our life and point things out or command things or tell us anything that we should do or correct error. We don't believe that. We think it's my relationship with Jesus. It's, or let's even go more specific to not even just my relationship with Jesus, but we think it's my, it's my relationship. It's my marriage. It's my parenting. It's my job. It's my decisions. It's my time. It's my money. Like, we don't think that anyone else really has the right to point things out, to command things, to teach things, to correct things. We, we don't think that. So when we think about elders and pastors and that being inherent to the job description, we don't really like it if we're honest. I mean, so maybe you go, yeah, yeah, okay, so let me just ask you this. When's the last time someone challenged you on something that really mattered? Not like, 
hey, I think that shirt's dumb or something, but when's the last time someone really challenged you on something you really cared about? And how did you respond? See, that's how we know, man, do we really want people in our life that that's inherent to the job description? Do we really want people in our life, pastors, elders, where Paul says, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to instruct, correct, point out, command, do, when's the last time somebody did that to you? If you're like most people, the last time someone did that to you, you probably didn't say, I really appreciate that. You probably said, no, you don't understand, no, hey, this isn't your, this isn't your place. You probably pushed back. Hey, let me, here's another way to ask the question is, if you agree with everything, if you agree with everything that you hear, if you agree with everything you hear, you're probably not actually listening, and you're probably just picking and choosing. Because we're great at that, right? If you've got your Facebook news feed, you can click, I don't want to see things like this anymore. Filter that out. You can even hide things from certain people. It's, it's like you can mute things. I want to mute this person for 30 days. There's like that option, which I think is great. You can just, I wish, that would be great if you could do that in real life. I'm going to mute you for 30 days. Uh, <laughs> And they don't even know that you've done that to them, you know, but you can just filter everything out and we can personalize everything, right? So you can say, I, I like this stuff and I like this and I like this, but we, we have built in our society a way to filter everything out and curate our own private spirituality. And so if everything that you hear actually seems agreeable, it may be because you're just filtering everything out and not actually saying, I want elders, but actually I want to just lead my own life. Now, here's what God says. God looks at our life and says, I know that life is hard. God looks at our life and says, I know you want to, I know that you're here, and I know that there's areas that you want to move over here. I know there's things that are frustrating at work, and I know that there's things in your marriage that you want to be better, and I know there's things in your heart that you feel burdened with, and I know you want to get over here. God says, I know life is hard, and I want to help you. I want to be a part of it. Here's what God said. God says, I look at your life. This is so, this is so uh, helpful for me. God says, I look at your life, and, and maybe it feels empty. Maybe it feels barren in certain areas. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, maybe for some of you, the entire thing feels that way. But in certain areas, it feels like, man, there's nothing happening and it's not moving. And God says, I look at that and I see potential. I see what can be. I see what can happen. I see what could actually blossom. And he, he uses this language, Paul does, of an ox uh, or a leader. Both of these things are interesting about elders. He says the elders who are good leaders, and then he calls the elders uh, using kind of a, a metaphor of an ox. And, he, and, and both of those things, if you think about a leader, it's saying God is saying, I'm not leaving you alone, but I, I give you people to actually help you experience something better. That's what a leader does. A leader moves you to something that is better from where you are now. And God says, I, I actually see where you could be. I see where I can take you. There's emptiness, but I see where you could go. And then the ox even clarifies further, because if you think about an ox in a field, if you just imagine an ox in an empty field, this is what basically God is saying, here's our life in certain areas. It feels empty. It feels like there's no progress. It feels like there's no growth. And God looked like, when you go and you drive east to the airport, you look at a field, 
and you go, man, there's nothing out here, right? That's probably what you think, unless you're a farmer. Then you look out and you go, there's potential. There's something that could be happening. Maybe there's something under the surface. Maybe, maybe there's more than just dead gophers on the side of the road, right? There's something that can actually take place here. And God says that he actually views our life like this, that he says, it's a field. It's a field. But there's stuff that can happen in your life. There's progress that can be made in your life. God says, I don't leave you alone. I give you an ox. You're not on your own. God says, I actually want to help you. And in order for you to experience more than just a field, in order you experience progress from where you are to where God wants us to be, God says we need elders. Now why? Why do we need that? Because we have, here's why, we have so many things speaking to us all the time. We have so many things, so many voices in our lives speaking to us. In your past, there's voices that have spoken to you. In our culture, there's voices all the time through media and writing and just, and not even direct, but just the, the ethos that we live in that has been created. There's voices speaking to us all the time in our past, in our culture, and maybe even most powerfully, ourselves. Right? You know that the voice kind of most powerful in your life most of the time is your own self-talk, right? For both good and bad. And there's voices speaking to us all the time. And the voices that speak to you are the voices that eventually form you. The voices that you listen to, the inputs the, that are coming at you, and sh- they, they are the voices that form you, that shape you, that shape how you think about things, that shape your heart, that shape then your life. The voices you listen to. The voices you listen to are the voices that form you and thus the person that you become. Now, you know this, right? There's people in your life that have spoken certain things to you that set the trajectory for your life. I think most powerfully for us, it's usually our parents. For good and bad, your parents spoke things to you. And some of those words have settled in your heart and have continued to shape you, right? Some of those things that were really helpful and and maybe you lean back on some of those things and they help you to keep going. And some of them, man, maybe you've gone to counseling, you've gone to therapy and they're like, yeah, man, it's the voice of my dad I just keep hearing. And I'm always feeling like I have to prove myself. I was never good enough for my dad. Or, I, man, I always wanted my mom's love, and I always wanted her attention, and I always felt like I'm fighting. It's the voices in our life that so often form us, shape us, and thus who we actually become. We have this happening all the time. And you know what God wants? God wants his voice to be the voice in your life. God wants his voice to shape you, to form you. He wants his voice to get down into the core of who you are. What if, what if the word that God speaks to you in the middle of your suffering of his comfort, when you don't know and things don't make sense and, and you don't get the tragedy in your life and the loss in your life, and the conf- when you don't get that, God wants his voice of comfort to be what you hear. And when you've got sin in your life and you're going the wrong way and and you're off the rails, God wants you to hear his voice calling you back. God wants you to hear his voice saying, come here. 
I'm not done with you. I've got grace for you. I want you to know me and follow me. And when, when just in the course of our life, we've got so much happening, God wants you to know his voice. He wants to tell you again who he is. God wants you to hear, man, I'm good to you. God wants you to hear, I'm in control of your life. God wants you to hear, I'm gracious to you. You don't have to prove so many things. God wants you to hear. God wants you to hear who he is and his voice in your life. Now, imagine that. Imagine that being the voice that shapes you. Imagine that being the voice that forms you. Because the voices that we listen to form us. And that's who we become. So if you view your life as an empty field in some ways... What happens when the seed of God's word, his voice, gets planted? Who do you then blossom into? Who do you then become? We have voices speaking to us all the time. God wants his voice to be the voice in your life. Nothing is more important than that. This is why we need elders, because some of them especially give themselves to working hard at preaching and teaching. See, that's central to what the job description of a pastor, an elder is, is that they bring the voice of God into your life. The voices you listen to is who you become. And we're hearing voices all the time. Not in the, you know, the weird, maybe some of you in the weird way, but not, we're hearing voices all the time. God says, I want my voice to shape you. I want you to become who you can become by listening to me and seeing who I am. And so what God does is say, I don't leave you alone in that. I actually give you people in your life to work hard at preaching and teaching, which is to say to bring my voice into your life so you hear my word in the ways that you need it most. This is the very reason that God says you need, we need pastors, elders in our lives. Now, it's easy It's easy to say this. It's easy to look at God's word, to look at the Bible and say, okay, I need God's voice in my life. I need to hear what God says in my life. But can I just do that on my own? Can I just open up the Bible? Can I just Google some things? I mean, I can read. I went to high school. I can read things. Do I really need somebody else to bring me God's voice? Do I really need someone else to preach or teach to me what God's word says? Okay, I agree. I need God's voice, but can't I just do that by myself? And, And with somebody else preaching and teaching and bringing God's word, isn't that just their opinion and this is my opinion? Isn't that just their interpretation? This is my interpretation. Do I really need somebody else bringing this to me? And there's a lot of different things that could be said about this, but here's one thing. When I go to the dentist, which I hate to do, when I go to the dentist, um, every single time, part of the reason I hate going to the dentist is because they always look at my teeth and tell me how messed up they are. And I'm like, do you floss? I'm like, well, what do you mean by, like, ever in my life do I floss? Um, If the dentist tells me, hey, you've got a cavity, or the dentist tells me you need to floss, I don't go, well, that's just your interpretation. If you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, hey, you've got a couple cracked ribs, or uh, you've got a kidney stone, or hey, you've got an appendix problem, or hey, you've got, uh, you know, you're dehydrated, and you say, "Eh, that's your interpretation. That's just your opinion. Here's the truth. 
It is their interpretation. It is their opinion. It is their view. But based on what? Based on a bunch of medical experience? Based on a bunch of training? Based on based on the weight and support of the medical community that exists, that they, have, that they have been approved by, is board approved by, based on their job that they give themselves to, of hard work, of saying, man, what is the body like? What are these nasty teeth like? It's based on their interpretation and based on their experience, but, ba- but the weight of that is all covered in training, experience, approval by the board. I mean, all of this stuff that goes into their interpretation. I would be a fool if I said to my dentist, that's just your interpretation. Because it is, but my interpretation and their interpretation are not on the same playing field because of all the different things that that brings to it. Now, maybe this is where you start to get uncomfortable. But this is why God says we need elders. This is why God says we need pastors. Because we need an objective voice in our life. Look, we all know that when it comes to our own stuff, we're not objective, right? When it comes to the stuff that we're going through, we are not objective. If you take a husband and a wife that are struggling with things, part of why a marriage counselor is helpful is to say, hey, let me hear what you say, let me hear what you say, and let me bring to you my interpretation based on all the years of experience, based on the weight of the therapeutic community or whatever you want to say that goes into that, based on my objective view, let me help you to see some things that maybe you don't see. You see, we need objective voices in our life, bringing God's word into our life. We also need people that are dedicated at that, committed to that, because it's really easy to say, that's just your interpretation. And my interpretation, based on reading this line really quickly, based on Googling something really quickly, says this. Yeah, but man, this is why I can't say to my doctor, you think it's dehydration, I think it's this, because I went on WebMD. That's not, a a doctor's going to laugh at you. Which is why Paul says you need elders that are laboring. They're working hard like an ox. An ox, I've never been an ox, but when I look at an ox, they are big, right? And it looks like they're working hard. It looks like, man, those things are, they're they're going for it, right? Paul says you need people in your life that are objective, bringing God's voice to you. And you need people that are dedicated, committed, giving themselves to something for you. Because you can read on your own, you can relate to God on your own, but the same God that you read about or relate to on your own, that same God is the one that says you need elders. That same God that you say it's my personal relationship, that same Jesus is the one that says, here's what I give to my church, here's what I know my church needs. Why? Because he knows what we need and he wants more for us than just to experience our own voice. See, it's so easy to think we're hearing from God when we're just hearing from ourselves. It's so easy to think that we're listening to God's voice in our lives when we're really just listening to ourselves. Which is why God wants to bring his voice into your life through objective, dedicated people that he calls elders or pastors that bring his voice into your life to help you become what you can become. Think about this. What's happening in your life right now? 
What's happening in your life that's hard, that's difficult, maybe that you feel stuck in? Maybe that's just a deep struggle for you. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's suffering. Maybe you're just stuck. Maybe you don't even know how to interpret it. But you look and you, you, you know or at least feel there's something different or more that could be. You look at your life and at least in particular areas, you say it feels like a field. It feels kind of empty. It feels kind of barren. It feels like there's more that could be, but right now it's dry. When you look at that, what would it look like? What would it mean for you to listen to God's voice, not just by yourself, not just in your own head, not even just with the Bible, but to use one of the main key resources that God has given to you, pastors in the church. See, you want comfort? You want to experience comfort from God? You want freedom from your sin? You want to be more rooted in your identity, who you are in Him. You want to experience healing from hurt and shame and guilt and things where you feel even broken in some areas. God says, God says, the same God, and this is why I keep saying God is the one, right? That says, here's how I want to help you with that. I don't want to leave you alone. I give you pastors, elders for this. That's why we need them. Who are they? Who are the elders that we need? Because that's hard to give that trust to somebody. Right? I mean, it's hard to give that trust to somebody. To say, here's somebody that's actually bringing God's voice into your life. Here's somebody that's actually saying, here is the voice of God for you objectively, and I'm dedicated to bringing it to you. But that's a hard thing to entrust to somebody, isn't it? I mean, that, that's a difficult thing. Maybe even for, for those of you that haven't been a part of church, it's really freaky even to hear someone say something like this because we believe, man, who could talk for God? Who could speak for God? That's a really hard thing to hear. And here's the truth. We should be careful. We should be very careful about that, about who we entrust that position to. And so who are these people? Here, here's what Paul tells us. They're people that should be time-tested. Look, he says, because after he sets up the weight of it, he says, so don't, don't be too quick. Don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder. That's not something you should just jump into. That's not somebody that should just get appointed to that quickly. Because Paul knows what he is saying. Paul knows the position and the weight of authority that he's giving to that. So he doesn't just say, so hey, let's roll some dice. Let's see who it is. Who wants to do it? He says, do not be too quick to do this. I mean, this is why we looked at several weeks ago the long job description that he gives, or the, the character qualifications, rather, that he gives to an elder. But he says here, do not be quick to appoint this. He said it back then when we looked at it too, where he says they shouldn't be a new convert, somebody that just became a Christian. They, they should be, I mean, he gives all these lists of things, and here he's saying, do not be too quick. And he goes on to say, some people's sins are obvious. And some people's good things are obvious. And, but some it takes a while to actually figure out. You know what he's saying there? Man, some people, when you first meet them, when you first see them, they can be different from that. The first impression that you have of somebody can often be different. They can seem better than they actually are. You meet someone and go, man, this person's great. They're so solid. They're so mature, man. They love Jesus. They know their Bible. And it takes a little bit of time. And you go, wait a minute. 
Actually, their evil, their sin has now showed up. Or some people, man, you meet them and, and maybe you're not as impressed. And you're like, okay, this is all right. And take some time and then you go, okay, wait a minute. There's actually a lot of good and fruit that's coming out of their life and lives are being changed and God is doing stuff. And you say, man, that's, that, it takes time to actually see that, Paul says. So Paul says, do not be quick. Do not be quick to appoint elders because it takes time. Time reveals what is going on there, but it takes time to actually see it, which is why, which is why a process for this stuff really matters. It's why a process really matters. Right now at True Life, I'm, I'm the only pastor here at True Life. And to become a pastor for myself, I mean, first I went through a long process to actually become a deacon at the church I was at in Seattle. Then I went through a long process to become a pastor where they did background checks and people that I disciple, what do they think? And people above me, what do they think? And theological knowledge and pastoral knowledge and, and marriage assessments with tests and counselors and asking us all sorts of questions. And then when we actually started a church, we, there was another long process to do that. I mean, not, we're, my wife and I are on assessment team for new people becoming, uh, they're planting churches. And it was reminding me of all that we went through. I mean, there's this giant packet we have to read through that we did too of 95 people pages of stuff that you have to fill out and write. And I mean, all these things were they're, I mean, the most intrusive thing that you could ever imagine, you know, just digging into every single area, financially, relationally, theologically, spiritually, I mean, everything. I mean, that is the process that I went through to actually become a pastor. And in our network of churches, uh, we're a part of a, for those of you that maybe are new or don't know, we're part of a network of churches called Acts 29. The, the, the president or director for Acts 29 West, which is Colorado West, uh, who I used to receive coaching from and still talk with, he, he says that churches that are new churches like ours, church plants, should wait at least five years before they even start adding additional pastors besides the person that starts the church. Because... It can get messed up because you're entrusting so much to that pe- person. So right now at True Life, I've gone through a process. We've got a board of elders that are outside elders that have been pastors, elders for a long time so that we can function together and they're able to bring their weight of experience and we work together on decisions and things like that. And right now at True Life, there's people in the process that are being developed to become pastors. But just like Paul says, don't be quick to appoint people. Be slow. It's always better to be slow than it is to be fast when it comes to putting someone in a place where you're saying, hey, we're actually expecting to hear God's voice from you. It's always better to be slow than to be fast in that kind of thing. So Paul says, don't be too quick. These people should be time-tested people. Now, if that's true, if you actually get those kind of people, and if time has actually tested them, and you've actually had people that have gone through a process like Paul describes, then here's what that means. What Paul says is this, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it's supported by two or three witnesses. And that's really important because what he is saying is this, if you get the right people in place, if you get the right people in place, then you should assume the best. 
If you, if you do your work on the front end, then you should assume the best. Look, when you're dating, look, for those of you that are single, you know this. When you're dating, you're critical, right? You're looking for stuff. You're asking questions, sometimes overtly, sometimes secretively. Like, hey, look at those kids. Aren't they cute? What do you think about kids? <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes, how many kids do you think are cute? You know, I mean, sometimes you're... <laughs> Sometimes it's secretive and sometimes it's overt. But once you cross that line and once you get married, once you act, then you, you shouldn't do that anymore. Right? Once you actually get married, you should have done your homework on the front end that now you're assuming the best of that person. You're assuming that you're a good fit. You're assuming that they're for you. You're assuming they love you. You're assuming that, that your life is going to go well together, right? And what Paul is saying is this. Do not be quick to appoint somebody. But once you cross that line, you should assume the best. Once you cross that line, you should assume the best because it's easy to criticize people in a public role. It's easy to look at anyone in any sort of public office that stands on a stage, and it's easy to criticize. It's easy to be suspicious. It's easy to have accusations. It's easy to, to go, oh, I don't know about that, or to complain, or to judge. It's easy to do that with anyone in a public office. And the more public or the more official, the easier it is to do that. We complain about the president all the time, right? Anyone in a public office, it's easy to say, oh, I would do that differently, or oh, I think they're doing to do that. It's easy to do that. Paul says if you do it right on the front end, then assume the best. And often, that's not what's in our heart. Often in our heart, mainly because of this. I think there's a lot of reasons why it's, why it's easy to actually assume the worst or to be suspicious or judgmental or complaining or critical of, of pastors. But often it's because they're the ones pointing out our sin. Right, right now, I'm talking about things that maybe God convicts you of, and it's easy to then be critical of that. It's easy to, for me to stand up here and say, hey, God says this, and here's where God wants us to move outside of our comfort zone and things, or here's what God's challenging, and then to go, oh, yeah, well, blah, 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 blah. See, the person that points out the sin or teaches or commands, it's easy to be critical of because those are the very people God is using in your life to lead you beyond where you are right now. John Calvin, who was one of the Protestant reformers, 1500s, he said this about pastors, and I think it is a helpful thing to think about. He says, none are more exposed to slanders and insults than godly teachers. This comes not only from the difficulty of their duties, which are so great that sometimes they sink under them or stagger and halt or take a false step so that wicked men find many occasions of finding fault with them. But added to that, even when they do all their duties correctly and commit not even the smallest error, they never avoid a thousand criticisms. It is indeed, this is the important part right here, it is indeed a trick of Satan to estrange men from their ministers so as gradually to bring their teaching into contempt. I think this is so helpful, so insightful. See, and so weird for me to preach, but I'm doing it. Here's what he says. If you've actually got problems with me, if you've got problem with the pastor, that might be Satan. 
You might think it's your own judgment. You might think it's your own wisdom. But very likely, it's Satan. Very likely, your heart is being stirred because if Satan can create hostility, if Satan can create judgment, what he does is actually then you start to tune out God's voice in your life. You start to actually then miss out on what God wants to do in your life. See, to be estranged from God's word and preaching and teaching from here is to be estranged from God's voice in your life. And thus to be estranged from God and what he can and wants to do in your life. Calvin said this is one of the greatest tricks of Satan. I I believe that he is right. I've seen this play itself out many times. So who are the elders that we need? It's time-tested people that the work has happened on the front end, which means then we should assume the best, which means we should have a disposition. Ask yourself if this is true. A disposition to defend. If someone were to say, well, the pastor, blah, blah, you actually say, I'm assuming the best, so I actually have a disposition not to listen to that, but to defend. To say, that's not true. I don't think that's right. A disposition to defend, to look, to look for the good. We know in everybody it's easy to look for the messed up stuff. We should be looking and training our eyes to look for the good. But it also means this. It also means this. If there is serious public sin, Paul says, then they should be publicly rebuked. So those elders that sin in a way that is not, you know, I mean, everybody sins all the time, right? but in a way that they're unrepentant and they're continuing down a track that is false and wrong, they should be publicly rebuked. They should actually be brought before and publicly rebuked, and he says, so that the other elders are actually scared. So that the elder elders go, oh crap, I don't want that to happen to me. See, a lot of times God motivates through grace and kindness, but sometimes he says, hey, you you need a little bit of fear. You need a little bit of this so that you're afraid and go, whoa. See, you gotta do you gotta do the work on the front end. Otherwise, otherwise, sometimes you gotta public rebuke those. And so, here's where I've seen this go wrong: is sometimes what happens is people, because they do love their pastors so much, they they don't want to hear any sin, even if it has become public. And you've seen some of this in the news, right? It becomes public, and people just say, no, 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 no. Or they say, or they say, who cares? Just isn't God gracious? Doesn't, yeah, God's gracious, God forgives, but people also need to be publicly rebuked. It's a both and. So who are these elders? It's time-tested people that if true, if done right, the best should be assumed. Ultimately, who these people are, though, and here's what I think is encouraging for us to think about the people that that God says, I give you people in your life to help you experience my voice so you become more than you are now. Here's who these people are. Look Look what he says. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels. Here's what he's saying. Before God, before Jesus, before the angels even watching, I want you to appoint people or not appoint people. So here's what that means. And, and Paul says this throughout 1 Timothy, actually, and 2 Timothy. The people that are there are the ones God has appointed. It's happened before him. It happens under his watch. It happens under his provision. 
It's happening as Jesus watches, as God the Father watches, and as a council of angels watch, the people that become pastors are actually chosen, appointed, ordained by God. Here's what that means. It's easy. It's easy to go, man, and look, I, I know this. I love, for example, Tim Keller, the pastor in New York. I have his poster on my wall. Uh, it's like one of those velvet ones, like, you know, those old, like, teen posters. Um, not really, but... Uh, it's not velvet. Um, but I, <laughs> I do love Tim Keller, but, but it's easy. It's easy to go, oh, I love the teaching of this person. I love the teaching of this person. I love the teaching of this person. What, what Paul is saying is God has given you the people that God knows you need. God has given you the people that God, look, here's what the Bible teaches, that Jesus as the great shepherd knows each of your names, that God knows every hair on your head, and that God has said, I know who you need, and I, I bring the right person into your life for you, for what I want to do in your life, for what I want to speak to you, for how I want to care for you. And so before God and Jesus and the elect angels, God appoints the people in his church that he wants because God knows you. Last thing is this, how do we experience then all that we need from elders? One of the main ways that God wants to work in your life to thrive, to experience all he wants to do. One of the main ways is God gives us pastors. Because pastors bring the voice of God objectively and dedicatedly. And the right people in that place, we get to experience the individualized knowledge and care God has for us. So how do we do that? How do we actually experience and get the most out of the elders that God has given to us. Here's the guide. Here's the guide, and then this has three points to it. But the guide is this, double honor. Paul says the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor. So here's the overarching guide of how you should, again, I'm sorry, this is you know, slightly weird, but here's what God says you need to get the most out of the elders in your life. Double honor. Here's what this means. If you think about honor, part of what it means is to appreciate. Part of what God says that you need and how you will actually experience the most out of the leaders, the elders, the pastors that he's given you is that you have double honor. Now, we know what that means. I mean, it can mean a lot of different things, but it means, at, at the very least, it means to appreciate somebody, Right? And the more, that you, the more that you honor someone, the more you get out of them. The more that you appreciate, the more you get out of it. This is true with all things in life. There's kind of this chicken and egg thing, right? Somebody does something, then you honor them. But it's also true that if you honor, you experience more of what the thing actually is. So have you ever gone to a, have you ever gone to a um, maybe military funeral or um, I, I did a program in high school where I was around the American Legion and people that show respect for, and I'm not trying to make a you know, political statement about this, I'm just saying what I've observed, people that show respect for, well, that kind of zoomed in huge, but respect for the flag. And, and they wear these white gloves and they fold it and they get every crinkle out and, they, and you see this honor that they're putting on it. But you know what that does? If you're even just observing it, when you see someone honoring something, they're getting more out of that. 
the appreciation you give to something actually creates in you a deeper benefit of the thing. Part of what Paul says is that the way you will experience the most out of the elders that God has given to you is if there's double honor, which in part means appreciation. What does it mean? I'm not going to spell it all out. I mean, what does it mean, though, if you were to say, hey, we're going to honor so-and-so, or today we gather to honor this person, or we're going to honor this thing, or we're going to honor, and think about all the different things that that would mean. I, I'm, like I said, I'm not going to spell it all out, but part of what it means is appreciation, double honor. And the second thing that Paul does even specifically spell out is that it means giving, financial giving. He says this, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. The scripture says, do not, and this is quoting from Deuteronomy, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. And then this is a quote from Jesus. The worker is worthy of his wages. So he says, show double honor. And part of what that means is that we actually give financially. The do not muzzle an ox is you've got this ox that's, I don't think ox walk like this, but you've got this ox and he's, um, He's in the field, and while he's kind of treading, some of the grain is falling out. Let him eat it. Don't stop him from eating it. Let him actually get the fruit of his own weight, his own labor. And they use this in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy to say, hey, you should pay the priests of the church. You see this oxen working. This is what you should do to pay the priests. And in the New Testament, Jesus says the worker is worthy of his wages. And Paul uses this in other parts of the Bible also when he writes to churches to say, here's what it means. Here's how you get the most out of your elders. Double honor. Part of what double honor is is appreciation. And part of what double honor is is to actually give. To give in a way that shows honoring. In the Old Testament, where the, when, when the church would tithe, the church would tithe, that would go mainly to the priests for their work that they did in the church. In the New Testament, and beyond where we are, it's, it's actually exactly what Paul just says. It's to go to those that are laboring and preaching and teaching. It's to go to the pastors of the church. In the Old Testament, people say, how much should I give? And, and it was around 10%. It was actually more. But about 10% was given to the priests. In the New Testament, we did a big series on, or a short series on this in December. If you want to go back and listen, I can't cover all of it. But in the New Testament, it doesn't say give this specific amount. What it says is look at Jesus. And look at what he's done for you. And let that control your giving. Let, let who he is and who he's been to you move in your heart such that what he's done in your life flows through you. And that's the main way it motivates us. But Paul is actually motivating here to say, hey, here's actually what should control your giving. Double honor. What should control your giving is double honor. Now, look, I'm preaching the Bible. I'm not trying to ask for a raise. I mean, it's not, I'm not setting up a tip jar down here or something. Uh, our board, our elder board, actually sets my salary, and it's a fair salary based on other churches and all the different research or experience. But, but I will say this. What Paul is saying is really important for our own hearts to get the most out of something because where, Jesus says this, where your treasure, where your treasure goes, your heart follows. Now, oftentimes when we hear that saying from Jesus, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart is also, we think, hey, our heart reveals what we love and value. And that's true. But what Jesus is saying is actually different. He says what you give to 
where your treasure is, your heart will follow it. See, part of how you will experience all that God wants to do in your life is by saying, I'm actually going to give. Because then your heart follows. Your heart goes, man, I'm a part of this. I'm invested in this. Man, I've actually paid the ox. I've actually, I've actually, I've actually said double honor. And then the heart follows. So you have to ask yourself that question. Does your giving reflect double honor? Here's the, here's the reality without stats and graphs. Our church would close if it weren't for a handful of people. If it weren't for a handful of people that actually take verses like this seriously and say, yeah, I'm going to let my giving be controlled by double honor. I'm going to let my giving be controlled by what Jesus has done for me. If it weren't for a handful of people, for those of you that are members, you've seen kind of the stats and the graphs. If it weren't for a handful of people, the church would close. Because most people, when they come to giving, say, eh, I guess I should give something. But they're not thinking like what Paul's saying, which is double honor, which is, man, what has Jesus done for me? And I want to let my giving be led by that. I know people don't like to hear this, but it's the Bible. It's what Paul says. Last thing. <laughs> thank you. Um, last thing. How do we experience all that we need? He says double honor, which means to appreciate. It means to give. He specifically spells out. And, and it means to listen. Like, how do you honor someone? You listen. How do you honor someone whose job is preaching and teaching? How do you honor someone who's committing themselves to bringing God's voice into your life? How do you honor that? It's by listening. Which means you actually come here on a Sunday saying, I want to listen. I want to learn. I want to let God speak to me. It's so easy to come on a Sunday and be on your phone or come on a Sunday and, 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 and be skeptical and be like, mm, I don't like the way you said that. And all of that is a trick of Satan, like Calvin says. Instead of to come and actually say, I want to listen. I want to receive God's voice. It's to listen. And your maturity in life will never exceed your humility. Your maturity in your life, your progress in your life, your growth in your life, your maturity will never exceed your humility. To say, I want to learn. I want to be corrected. I want things pointed out. I want to grow. It's to come and to listen humbly. To listen, you can do that on a Sunday. To listen, you can actually ask. I love it when someone emails me and says, hey, what are your thoughts on this? Or, hey, do you have any good book recommendations on this? Or, hey, I love it when someone does that. So I say, man, I want to help someone that is humbly saying, I'm a field, and I want to experience the blossoming God wants to do. It's to ask, and it's part of listening, is to just follow the things that have been set up. It doesn't just mean you say, okay, I want to listen. I want to meet one-on-one -on -one with you for the rest of my life. It means that you say, hey, I want to listen. And God has, set, God has through his elders, his pastors, set things up in the church. Say, man, we have tried to say, what's best for you? Community groups and LTGs and these things. And, and to listen is to actually say, okay, I want to be a part of that. So, let me close with this as this awkward sermon ends. <laughs> it's easy to hear the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't kill people, don't steal. Right? It's easy to hear all that and go, that's a command from God. And then to come to this and go, maybe that's a suggestion. 
But it's in the same book. It's from the same God. See, God gives us commands because he loves us. God gives us commands because he knows us and he knows what flourishing is. Whatever the command is, these are from God for you, for our good. So maybe even as we take communion, you just need to ask, where do I need to confess? Where do I need to repent? Where do I need to see the good that God wants for me? We want growth. We want to be stronger. God wants that for us. He wants his voice in your life. He loves you. He gives to you pastors to help you experience the more that he has for you. And when we take communion, what we remember is that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed. Why? The Bible says it was for his church that he loves his church so deeply that it says he bought the church, he purchased the church with his blood. See, he loves you. He loves this church that he would say, I bought you with my blood. But he loves us so much, he doesn't leave us alone. He loves us so much that he says, I give you every resource possible for you to experience the life that I desire for you. So when we come and take communion, Let's remember the good God that we have, the Savior that we have, who forgives us, who cleanses us, and gives us life, and leads us into the fullness of salvation. We pray with me? Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you love this church so deeply, that you know each person in this room, and you care about their lives, and you want your voice to be planting seed and reverberating through their life. I pray you would help us as a church to grow in loving your will for us, that we would not resist it, we would not fight it, we would love what you want for us, God. Help us to trust you and know how good of a God you are, that you would die to buy us, to purchase us with your blood. Pray as we sing that you would just help these truths get deeper into our hearts. In your name.